Welcome to Quest with Kirk Durston. I'm your host, Sheldon Kotick. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, please tell us why. And now, Quest with Kirk Durston. Kirk, how are you doing today? Morning. I'm doing great, Sheldon. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It is Friday, January 28th, 2022. I say that and then just have to pinch myself. It's 1 January. It's 2022. And um, yeah, the world's just flying. It's it's going fast. Yeah. Somebody put it on fast forward. Say, you know, I heard that you were once a hockey ref uh, back in the day. And um, now I have watched some of these things and um it seems that sometimes the people aren't really polite to the hockey refs uh, it's not like they're always saying nice encouraging things to you so how do you how did you handle that back when you were a ref show well and that and that was even before youtube comments came into existence and i, I sort of look at youtube comments and uh, social media as uh, how people would treat referees um you know what uh, it was it was thick skin and you just have to say, well, they don't really know what they're talking about, but, uh, yeah, there were, there were times where, um, well, sometimes it's a game where it's a game within the game where they're trying to get a, a better call next time or, uh, the coach is trying to yeah. get under your skin and, uh, stuff like that. But then there's other times where yeah. it's just, okay. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm just yeah. going to ignore you. So, now you have uh, some kids now you're married with with and uh, how many kids do you have i've got three uh three girls and um yeah so do you ever use teenagers. your roughing your oh, okay well you use your roughing skills with your teenage kids yeah i also use another thing um it's called fleeing and so i'll come into my office and close the door behind me and pretend i don't exist yeah uh, okay yeah. my wife wanted girls so she has to deal with all the drama uh-huh. Yeah. Now you, you had well, kids too, and you, you got a few more than I do. That's right. I forgot about that. I have six of them. Well, they're all growing up to be adults now, but I know what you're saying about the office. Sometimes Patty would be looking around. Where's, where's Kurt? Where'd he go? And she, she knew exactly where I went. Under the bed. You're hiding under my, the bed. My, yeah. No, yeah. I have a lair down in the basement. Okay. I'd be hanging out in, close the door, just get some peace and quiet. Yeah. yeah four boys, two girls. It was a good time party actually i would equate it to a party that goes on all day long seven days a week mm -hmm. week after week mm -hmm. year after year when you have that you know six kids plus patty and i that's uh you know like was that six plus two brings us to eight eight people in that's the house. almost a full baseball team yeah so we had good times mm -hmm. Good times and interesting times. Like if I ever heard the term having four boys, you learn that if you ever hear the phrase, watch this, <laughs> what that means is drop everything instantly and run and sprint, <laughs> sprint to where you heard that term because something really awful is about to happen. And sometimes there were broken bones involved. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we, we, we got to know which hospitals you got through faster emerged services with broken bones. And, um, that really helped. And then eventually when the boys got old enough, uh, one of them could take the other guy to the themselves. hospital. Nice. Yeah, we would save us having to. Uh, the best, though, was when my son Sam got his nose completely flattened by a keeper's head in soccer. 
but it was a two hour drive back home. And we wanted to go to this hospital over here because I know that this one, you could easily wait two hours or three in some strange hospital. It's only a two hour drive to this one out in the country and we could get in pretty fast. So on the way home, he was, I said, Sam, you got to get your nose, like get, try and shape it back into, so, so it looks, looks something. Cause it, you know, I don't know how, yeah. how fast these things set. So he was working in the mirror there and he'd get it adjusted and he'd say, how's this? And I said, um, oh, you got a little off to the left, move it just a bit more to the right. And by the time we got to the hospital, two hours later, the doc, he heard how flat that nose was and looked at Sam's nose and he says, you did a really good job of reshaping your nose. Now, is he now a surgeon? Is he a plastic surgeon or does he do anything related to that or no? No, he, he's cybersecurity. That's his okay. job. He works for a cybersecurity company. All right. Awesome. So Kirk, uh, I have a question for you. Um, you are a landscape wildlife photographer. That's uh, sort of a hobby of yours. I have to ask you, yeah. what's your favorite bird? Well, you know, uh, when you ask a person who likes birds that question, it's pretty hard to narrow it down to one. So I have a favorite bird for listening to, and that's the brown thrasher. They are they are hair-raising amazing with the sheer variety they have in their calls. You would swear you are listening to a genius, a, genius, a verbal genius when you listen to the brown thrasher. Looks, nice shades of copper brown, but for looks... You know, I, I really like those hummingbirds, the ruby-throated hummingbirds. Um, not just looks, but they're just fantastic, the way they can flap their wings. If I flap my arms like that, that fast, well, first of all, I couldn't. But if I did, I'd be going to the hospital because they'd be badly dislocated. As far as eating purposes go, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty hard to beat um, chickens, and chickens are birds, and I like roast chicken. Mm -hmm. I I would agree. And chicken's my favorite bird. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and they distill down to a good nugget and I love a good nugget. Do you? Yeah. Mainly because of the sauce food? delivery. Like, oh yes. You get a lot of sauce on a nugget. Mm -hmm. I know that. Yeah. In fact, my complaint, but when you buy nuggets is it usually run out of the sauce because they're so good at, at nuggets. So would you say that you're, the chicken is your number one favorite food oh, or no. is there something? No, um, ribs. Oh yeah. Those are, those are pretty tasty. Baby backs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but chicken and ribs is, uh, is a good one. That's right. Cause then you got sauce to dip your chicken in. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. Now I'm hungry. I didn't have uh, breakfast yet. So yeah, maybe we should just quit and go for, uh, We'll go for some food. Good idea. We'll be back in a few. <laughs> oh, just kidding. All right. So uh, why don't we get going? Uh, got a few questions. Uh, you put up a, a live, or not a live stream. You put up a uh, video this week uh, that we had talked about last week, previewed it, and now it's been up for a few days. Um, how'd that go? What, what kind of response are you getting? Uh, it's actually, it's been up for two days now, although actually just under two days, cause I didn't actually start promoting it until the afternoon, two days ago, but it's doing better than, I think better than any of my other videos have done. There's about 50 up there on my channel, but as far as the speed, the rate of climb now it's, I'm still pretty much an unknown. So it's, it's no, it's not like I have, 
I only have like 900 and some subscribers. So I got 700 and some odd views, probably break at least 800 today, which for a lot of people, that'd be absolutely nothing. But for me, it's good. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm surprised at the interest and uh, some really interesting questions um, coming up, not uh, not necessarily just in the video comments, but on other social media platforms that I, let, you know, I publicized it in. And one of those um, one of those places that are is our power to change workplace mm-hmm. um, where you posted it. So it's a lot of power to change missionaries talking about it. And there's a few good comments in there that I saw. One of them was just around the idea of ex-evangelical, evangelical, the, what, what those terms are, what do they mean and uh, yeah. and stuff. Is that something you want to go into today a little bit? Oh, I could just maybe summarize in a couple sentences here. Um, An ex-evangelical is someone who's left what we refer to as evangelical Christianity. Now, when we say we they left it, they might leave that for another type of um, Christianity. They might say, for example, go to the Orthodox Church, or they might go to a mainline. Anglican church they might go to something more liturgical. Sometimes that occurs, but a lot of them, in fact, all the ones that I watched uh, on on online, and there's there's a ton of them. Uh, they just left. Most of them left Christianity altogether. Uh, any form shape of it, they they abandoned belief in God. They rejected the Bible. So basically, they became agnostic or even an atheist. And I've met some. I met one fellow, a former pastor who went so far in the other direction, he's actually a member of the Atheist uh, Association in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So it's not like you just leave something and move on with your life. He left it and went to the other side and actually actually promotes atheism. So, um, But they don't necessarily all leave Christianity, uh, per se. They just might go to another version of Christianity. But And there's there's a lot of that happening, but... Uh, the ones I'm more interested in are the ones that just abandon belief in God um, and Christianity, anything to do with it. Now, the term evangelical itself has a bit of a bad name. It's gotten a little bit political, especially in uh, in the U.S. and a little bit here in Canada. Um, <laughs> what can you say to that? Well, you know, originally, um, if you study church history, it just meant a, you know, a, it was a term referring to Christians who, who just really wanted to share the gospel, the gospel being how you can have eternal life and forgiveness for sins through putting your faith in Christ. That, that's what that was the front and center aspect of that, that movement, the evangelical Christians. But um, what has happened is, especially in the U.S., is that it also became associated with the Republican Party. So if you're an evangelical Christian, you have to vote Republican. And, and there's also, from a Canadian perspective here, because I'm not American, people often assume I am because they speak English, but no, I'm a Canadian, born in Canada. And from a Canadian perspective, when I look down there, it seems that a lot of Americans not only have faith in God, but they have faith in government and that somehow the government is needs to be christian and so forth and and then there's a ton of stuff that goes with that and then uh just it just kind of i think derailed or it's uh 
it gets to be a form of Christianity that you really wonder, you know, it, is this the real deal anymore? So, I mean, I, when I was young, I would say I am an evangelical Christian, but I, I don't say that in public anymore because I know that what I think of as an evangelical Christian, I'm thinking of as, you know, a hundred and some years ago, whereas today that has a very different meaning. So I, I can't use that term anymore. Yeah, and it, it, I I don't use the term evangelical either because it just comes with so it much baggage. So much baggage, yeah. Um, and not even relevant to what uh, evangelism is or anything like that, which I think was that sharing sharing what I believe is yeah. uh, instead of forcing people to believe what I believe. Yeah, which is what I think is sort of the desire uh now is to prevent others from coming in and and mm -hmm. infecting my family to dominate like the, the idea yeah. is that they want to dominate culture through politics and everything else and that domination is not quite the way that jesus approached the people in his day We'll get into that in, in another live stream, yeah. I, I think. But uh, let's talk a little bit about um, a question that my neighbor said. So I'm going to pull up last week's uh, live stream here, and uh, I'm going to let you listen to what you said, and then I'll ask the question, and then we can dig into sure. it a little bit. Yeah. A little bit of uh, inception here. I am not hearing anything. You're not hearing anything? No, I didn't hear anything on the video. Uh-oh. All right. Well, uh, I don't know why that's happening, so I'm going to <laughs> not worry about that so today. Then looks. Those are good looks on our frozen faces there. I think both of us look like just about that's our prime. I, I think I might screenshot that and we'll make that the <laughs> thumbnail for the stream. Okay, I'll get rid of this then. And uh, I'll just I'll just say, uh, you had talked about Hezekiah mm -hmm. and how God hid himself. Yeah. And um, and uh, even sometimes he'll put a, put a wall up. And uh, my neighbor asked the question to me. He, uh, he sent me this... Uh, message does god create an intentional wall to test us if so why would he yeah um okay i i uh i'm a little uncomfortable with the idea of a wall because my understanding of god is he's still there but in hezekiah's case it, it would seem like a wall like i guess it seems like a wall to us because it says in Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was a king in ancient Israel, ancient Judah. And he was a really good king and things went really well, mostly. Uh, but there was a time in his life where there just seemed to be a wall between him and God. Like, And we probably all know what that is. You're praying, it just seems like you're talking to a wall. And uh, But it says that God left him alone. God's saying all sorts of nice things about Hezekiah. And then he says, and God left him alone only to test him to know all that was in his mind. And, and this is Second Chronicles 32, 31. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't 
that's more or less what it says there. Hopefully yep. I got that pretty much word reasonably. Yeah, cool. it just says, uh, and so when ambassadors of the rulers of Babylon were sent to him to inquire about the wonder that had happened in the land, God left him alone to test him that he might know all that was in Hezekiah's heart. Yeah. And if you uh, look at the backstory there, when they came, when these ambassadors from Babylon came, um, Hezekiah ended up showing them all his wealth and riches. And uh, I always squirmed a little bit when I read that until you read this part. God left him alone to see what Hezekiah will do. So, and, <clears throat> and the Hebrew word for know there isn't the same way we use it for English. For English, you would say so that he might find out. But the Hebrew word for know is much broader than that. It means to experience. So the exact same word is used for when um, Adam knew his wife, intimate experience of his wife. It's really another term of saying he had sexual relations, a sexual intimacy with his wife. So it can be used in, in that context, it can be used in a lot of contexts, but it's more than just find out information. So God leaves him alone, and in, in these testings times, kind of draw out the real person. And what emerged was that a bit of pride there, you know, show off. Let's, let's, let's press these guys with my riches. And later on, and then God comes back and says, hey, you know, those guys that you were just showing all your stuff to, they're actually going to invade your kingdom and take everything someday. Not in your lifetime, but they will be coming. And uh, I wonder if Hezekiah kind of wondered, you know, wow, did I just sort of dangle the the lure in front of their eyes? I don't know. But back to the thing, God does, God will leave people who, it will seem that way from time to time, and it's really a test. Does that make sense? Yep, I um, I think so. And I guess where um, the verse about uh, God won't give us any more than we can handle, mm -hmm. um, I always looked at this as, uh, okay, if he's testing me, Will he go to a, a certain line that he knows I won't handle, uh, that I wouldn't be able to handle it if I if you if that test was that much more, or is it, you know what, you might not be able to handle this, but with me you will be able to handle this. So the test is, where do I, um, like, am I going to be focusing on, I can handle this through my relationship with God. He's going to help me through this. Yeah. But if it was on my own, I might fail. Yeah. I think there's different kinds of testing that happens. Usually the word testing in the Bible, uh, think of um, iron ore or gold ore. Let's say you got your mind. I was just reading the other day, for every metric ton of ore, they got, I think it was three ounces of gold. Wow. It wasn't even three ounces. I thought, wow, that's a lot of lot of waste rock to go through just to get that bit of gold but that's the same idea used in the scriptures you like a refiner's fire so sometimes the testing is to melt away the trash in our lives or blow it away and then the gold is left other times the testing is there to show you actually no there is no gold <laughs> like uh, people will say oh i have faith in god and everything else and then something bad happens in their life and so the refiner's fire comes along, blows all the false faith away, and there's nothing left. Actually, the, what they thought was faith was just, you know, things are going well. Yeah, I can believe in God, you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes the testing is to strengthen us, like to bring us into, 
It's the kind like if you have to talk with somebody who's been through just horrible experiences in the past, they usually have a lot of wisdom to share as opposed to somebody who just laid on the beach their whole life because they were so rich they didn't have to work and they just had never had any problems. Who's going to have the more depth to them? So that, in another sense, testing goes that way too. And then I think there's a, there's another test, and that's what Job had happen, where the test wasn't um, about him at that's all. Right. Yeah, it was purely a spiritual. Um, I'm going to prove that this guy does have faith to you, Satan. And uh, Job went through a lot. Um, oh. Uh, the, the worst things that could possibly happen to anybody. Yeah, the lot. He went like, through it because Satan was trying to prove a point and God knew that, no, uh, Job can handle this. And That's true. That's, an, that's another interesting one because there there was a time where he was not answering Job. Yeah, yeah. He's sitting there wondering where God, where God went. But I think... Um, uh, what's interesting is I don't think it was just about proving a point to Satan. Satan, you know, I, I first of all, I think God baited Satan. He says, hey, have you noticed this guy Job over here? He's just amazing. Yeah, good point. And, and, you know, the last thing I want is God pointing me out to Satan and say, hey, look at this guy over here. No, I don't want, I don't want the att attention. But anyways, he did that. And Job, I mean, Satan rose to the bait and says, yeah, but if you do these bad things, then he'll blow you know renounce you okay then go for it god said and so he satan just destroyed him pretty much but the interesting thing is i i suspect it wasn't just about proving a point to satan what it was is that god knew in the back of his mind that humanity is going to need uh, an example of someone who is faithful to him in the most horrendous of conditions he lost all his children in one day all his wealth and he lost his physical health uh, it was just awful, and yet he still clung to God. And so countless, millions of people throughout the centuries have read Job while they too were experiencing awful things. And it's been an encouragement to them to say, well, Job can make it, so can I. Yep. So I think he actually turned the tables on Satan. He baited Satan, mm -hmm. but he knew that he had a higher purpose for this. And he, sh he showed Satan, no, Job didn't fold, but at the same time, it just really backfired on Satan because mil, you know tens of millions have, have been enormously mm. encouraged. Awesome, awesome stuff. Um, I'm going to bring up a a uh, email that somebody who called themselves even uh, exvangelical wrote to you, and it, it's along the same thing. But it, it, there's a um, there's a statement in here about a dragon. Uh, that we'll have to explain to some of our listeners who have never heard this before. But, um, exvangelical. Oh, I'm a couple slides ahead here. For me, the biggest problem with Christianity is divine hiddenness. Why does it seem like everything is the same, as if God of the Bible doesn't exist? Literally, why can't I ask God what number you're thinking and God respond with the correct answer? I see this question is very much related to Sagan's garage dragon. I could say more to justify such a basic question, but I think it's le best left wide open and simple. So Sagan's Garage Dragon, um, basically the, I don't know if it's a parable, parable or metaphor or whatever you want to call it, but um, it's 
uh, somebody says, come check out this dragon or there's a dragon in my garage and you go in there and there's, there's no dragon. Well, he's invisible. Okay. So I'm going to put something on the floor and the, and the dragon will walk on it and we'll see the evidence that there was a dragon there. Well, no, the dragon's hovering. So there's always an answer. Uh, well, why isn't there scorched walls? Well, there, there's not heat from his fire. Okay. Um, so there's always an, a reason for um, this dragon not being able to be seen. So with that background, what, um, what are you, what's your response to this? Yeah, it just seems uh, the, the person who wrote that, you know, his point is, is it just seems that, you know, you're telling me about this God, but uh, in any way I can test it, like guess a number in my head or whatever, it's just not happening. And um, I could say a few things about it. Maybe I'll just say one thing and then pause and see if I'm heading in the right direction. But um, first of all, the very first, maybe the big thing is, is that in Sagan's um, kind of like analogy there or metaphor, uh, there was no way at all that you could actually get any evidence for this dragon. You, you just utter had to trust the person who claimed he had one in his garage. There was absolutely not a shred of any kind of evidence. Whereas um, for the existence of God, there actually is evidence for the existence of God in a variety of forms. And um, it's not just the Christians who, you know, say, I got some evidence here. Uh, I did a master's degree in philosophy focusing on the problem of evil, and I did it in a secular university in a secular department, the bulk of the professors of which were probably agnostic or atheist. But there are arguments for the existence of God that are discussed in secular academia, first of all. Like, for example, just take a look out the window. What is your explanation for what you're seeing out there for maybe even beyond that, the sense of awe and the beauty that you see. Well, you know, people come up with some sort of a natural explanation, but then, you know, well, that's okay, except nature had a beginning. So if nature had a beginning and, and just as a woman who is impossible to give birth to herself, it'd be logically impossible for nature to have brought itself into existence, then logic entails that it's either it has to be something that's not natural. So that's just a purely logical track to go on. Then there is Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be God and said, I will rise again and that will be the, you know, the line of evidence. So there's, none of this is proof and that's the problem. It's None of this is proof, but it's a whole ton better than this, the dragon in the garage situation. So uh, you'd responded to Exvangelical in email, and uh, he then says, if my level of belief is proportional to the amount that God has revealed to me, then I really have no control. I think I agree. If God is real, then it would know what it would cause me to believe. And the fact that I do not uh, either means it's not real or it does not want me to believe. Do we really choose what we believe or do we believe what we are convinced of? I can make you believe that you have ketchup on my shirt. I just have to ruin your shirt. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. In fact, in philosophy, there are whole courses you can take on, on it's called epistemology. That's the theory of uh, just truth and justified belief. Like, how do we, how do we know anything? How do we justify our beliefs and so forth? So uh, it's an excellent question. And it's not an easy one to answer, but I will give you my, my quick answer on this. And that is, I think there is a wall between every person and God. That's the way it starts off. But the wall is not put there by God. It's put there by us. We don't do it on purpose, but it's there as a result of our own moral failings, our own thing. And if God is the origin of absolute flawless perfection and beauty, and we are the origin of, let's say, moral filth. Now, we might not say I'm morally filthy. I'm just a little bit morally off line. A little bit compared to flawless is a big deal. Like if I'm having a nice cold glass of water at the table and and somebody uh, just um, catches a fly and squeezes its entrails into my water, it's only a small bit, eh? But all of a sudden, I just don't, that, that's, that water's contaminated. There's, that's a big problem. Like I'm not drinking this water. And so it's the same with us. We tend to think our own moral. So anyways, this wall is a, it just arises out of our own moral failings. It's a distancing between us and God. But what God does is he makes a door in that wall. But the door won't be where we want it to be. It'll be, usually there's a, there's a pile of something in our life that is an obstacle between us and God that we have to deal with. And it'll be different for every person. And sometimes you'll make the door just on the other side of that. So, for example, a wealthy man asked Jesus, you know, how do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, uh, sell all, get, get, get rid of everything that you own and follow me. So he couldn't do that. So he left. So the, what his problem was is that he loved wealth and material goods. And so Jesus says, yeah, there's a door here. But to get through this door, you got to get rid of this pile that's obstructing you. We want the door to be in a place where we don't have to get rid of those piles. We want it to be in a nice place. So we might say, well, why couldn't I just guess a number? And then the number appears, and then I believe that God exists. That's another whole problem, by the way. That's not what God is aiming for, is that we believe that he exists. That's not it. But I don't know. Does that kind of make sense when I'm talking about the wall? I think so. Or so when you when you ask the question, do we really choose what we believe, or do we believe what we are convinced of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think that's the underlying issue. Is it a is it a choice, or is it does it have to be proven before we believe? Yeah. Okay. So that's that is it is huge. The because that requires faith, faith, right? Yeah, that's really the definition of faith: is are we believing before, um, yeah. before we have full proof? The um, well, for example, I used to work for an aircraft engine. I was an experimental test engineer, helping coordinate the build and test of experimental aircraft engines, and I saw a few of them explode. Now, um, so the the. The, the objective in testing is to get them to the point and fix this and reconfigure that. So the, the engine doesn't explode on a plane in flight. 
So eventually all the testing is over, the thing's certified. And there were several times now, there's been several times where I have been flying somewhere and I see, oh, this is the plane that's using the same engines I helped to develop. And I remember those exploding engines in the test cell. And uh, I have to get on that plane if I want to get to my destination. I don't know with 100% certainty that that plane's going to get there or the engines will not explode. I don't know that with 100% certainty. Um, so if you ask me, do you believe the plane will get there? I would say yes, but if you probed a little deeper, I would say it's highly probable that it will get there. In fact, the probability is so high, I can justify putting my faith in this plane. But where the faith comes in is making up that little last whatever percentage of uncertainty it is. And the other part is based on, well, I know all the rigorous testing we did. I know we modified this. I know a ton of them are out there flying now. We're not having problems. I think I can put my faith in this aircraft. I get on, but you don't have faith until you get on the air, airplane. Like you could say, do you believe it'll it, it'll crash before it gets to you know to Calgary, Alberta? Say yeah, but I don't get on the plane. Well, that's not faith. Faith is actually taking that belief and taking the next step, which means you got there's got to be some action that comes out of it. Great. And then um, going back one sentence, if God is real, then it would know what would cause me to believe. Mm -hmm. And the fact I do not either means it's not real or it doesn't want me to believe. Yeah. Is that a legitimate question? I, I think there's a assumption there that's not correct. What do you say the In, assumption is, Sheldon? Well, it, he's saying that there's two choices. I think there's a third option yeah. here yeah. that that God is real he knows what would cause him to believe but even though he does want him to believe he doesn't want to just give him the answer he wants him to find that answer in in his own searching in his own um in his own life so that it becomes real in the heart and not just yeah. in the head like i i think of my kids and there's times where I could solve a problem for them really, really easy. Mm -hmm. I know what the answer is. I know they need that answer, but I don't want them to know the answer. I want them to use the formula in math or yeah. whatever it is to, to, um, so they, they understand yeah. uh, how that answer come to. You want them to get to experience in a certain skill set, and they won't mm -hmm. get that experience if you just give them the answer. Um, yeah, but I think the guy, he, I mean, I'm just imagining what he would say in response here. I think I think you got a very good point there, Sheldon. So let's just look at that for a second. He might respond to the other guy by saying, yes, but um, I, I think that I have looked and I have not found anything. I've had numbers in my head. No, God didn't guess those. Um, so, you know, where am I going? But back to your answer here, I think, well, um, you see, the the other factor I'd add in here is that it might not be God's objective to, for us to simply believe that he exists. Mm. For example, I believe that the prime minister exists in my country. But if you ask me, do I believe in him? That is, do I, do I, I um, resonate with, you know, what he stands for and what he says and what he does? Well, that's a totally different question. 
that you know mm -hmm. believing in someone is a lot different from believing the existence and god says that even the demons even satan believes in the existence of god but obviously it's not doing a whole lot of good so uh, there's got to be another objective there if if simply if god isn't responding and saying oh you want to believe in me okay give a test i'll show up if he doesn't do that then we can confer that there must be a different objective that god has in mind and and he tells us what it is it's actually to because he already loves us with a love that's not explainable he wants he he invites us to the exhilarating experience of loving him back and believing that God exists is not necessarily uh, going to result in that. In fact, for some people, it just might repel them. Like it did the Pharisees, for example, with Jesus. He claimed he was God. He raised Lazarus from the dead. What was their response? Oh, I think we better kill Lazarus again because too many people are believing in Jesus. Like, um, There's something else about God that people resist. It's not his existence. It's something about God himself. That's what I'm observing really common amongst humanity. Do we have time to get into that? I think we do. What is it? Well, you know, <laughs> that's an easy question to ask. What is it about God that causes humanity to resist? And at the end of the day, I would suggest that it's human pride. It is, uh, you see it in science fiction all the time. So some amazingly advanced alien race invades Earth or whatever. And we're, we're practically stone aging in comparison to them. But by the end of the book or by the end of the movie, we've actually kicked their backsides and shown them who's boss and sent them off. We have this, this human pride that we can do this. We don't need God. In real life here, we see we don't need God in our education system, so we've kicked him out. At least we've done here in my in my country of Canada. God, you're not allowed to talk about God in school, okay? We don't need God to rule us, to govern us. We can do a better job. So God is kicked out of government, and so we look at our the way our countries are going and the debt and everything else. We say, I don't know about this, but okay, if you insist, you can do a better job. So we see this human pride all the time, and I think that's the fundamental factor. And it's, it's kind of analogous to when I was a kid, there was a guy in my class who, was, who got better marks than I did, now, which wasn't hard to do, by the way, because I never paid attention in class and read books all the time. But this particular guy, I don't know, for whatever reason, he did better than I. Uh, better than I. And he, pride kicked in, and I didn't know what to do. So I waited till after school, and I beat him up. I'm not proud of that. In fact, years later, I went back to that guy when he was an adult, and I had to apologize for just the bone-headed way I had been as a kid. So there's this pride that we don't, even if God showed up and say, I exist, and here's, we begin to sense how great he is, a lot of people, their pride would say, I refuse to bend my knee to this being, no matter how all-powerful he is and so forth. So God, that's not going to work. It's not going to work to just for God to step in and say, look how amazing I am. Instead, it has to be very subtle. Like, for example, when I saw this young woman that's now I'm now married to for 40 years, I just didn't blow in there and try and blow her away with how magnificent and amazing I am. Of course, I didn't really think I was very magnificent and amazing. I was a pretty shy guy, but that would be just totally like, 
what woman is going to be attracted to that? In the same way, God is more interested in whether we love him than whether we believe that he exists. And I, the original sin is the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's you don't need God. You'll be just like God. You will have control. You will be the one that can make all the decisions in your life. You don't need to bend your knee yeah. to anybody. And that's totally the way our culture is going. We make our, it's very, we'll make our own decisions. Thank you very much. We don't need God. Unless something really bad happens. And then they expect God to come trotting out of his corner like a pet dog because you want him right now. And he doesn't show up. Wow. And then we blame him. And then we blame him and say, well, then must not be one then. But how would you respond if there were people in your life who couldn't give you the time of day until they got into trouble? And then they would say, oh, by the way, I am just, I can't make it to the next paycheck. I need some money here real bad. And the rest of the time, they, they, they wouldn't even acknowledge your existence. Would you, I mean, you might, if you didn't know better, you might help them out the first time. And then they, as soon as they had their money, they just give you a kick in the backside or your back in your corner, like the dog to his mat over there. We don't want God in our normal lives. So many people do live life that way. And God's not like some enabler who just comes trotting out, you know, whenever we whistle for him. Um, and that's what kind of, like, I think back, what kind of woman would I want to be married to? Would I be want to be married to some sort of person who just came trotting out whenever I needed her? No, I, that's not the kind of woman I want. That's not the kind of relationship that's, ha- that's, that's healthy. And so God wants a healthy relationship. So he throttles down every, almost everything about himself, veils it, puts behind a curtain, and just gently reaches out and calls humanity through nature, for example, is one of the ways he said he did it, through Jesus of Nazareth, through own moral conscience that senses there is good and evil. And it's a very gentle calling so that he doesn't overwhelm us with his greatness. Awesome. Well, let's continue the discussion next next week. Um, I know you have some meetings to go to. I have some meetings to go to. Um, but uh, I do want to say before, uh, before we go here, uh, leave a question or some feedback in the chat for us. That would be awesome. Or reach out to us on... Um, on the different social media channels. We do pay attention to that kind of stuff. We would love to be able to answer your questions uh, either there or in a future video. So uh, we'll try and do these every uh, Friday for now. Uh, We may move the times around um, in the future, but uh, for now we'll do it on Fridays at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern. And uh, that way we can uh, practice a little bit and then we will uh, look at some future times to see if we can get the West coast involved and stuff as well. So leave us a comment, uh, like the video that would help us with the YouTube, YouTubing algorithms. And, um, if you want to be notified of future, uh, live streams and videos that Kirk posts, uh, make sure you hit the bell, subscribe to the channel and, uh, we will see you another day. Thanks Kirk. Good we'll talk see you later. Sheldon. <laughs>